0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Majsue Don are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Avoiding the Crowd with your host, Maj Sway I'm the producer on the show, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. But we got a packed house today. You know, we there's a very special episode that uh we wanted to do with the small cap discoveries team. You know, uh, Paul's been doing the rounds, so he's like, you know what? I think, I think I'm gonna bring on Trevor to also do uh, you know, help me out here because I've been, you know, on every friggin' show in in the In the country at this point. So, with that, I'm going to throw it to our host, Maj, and uh, he'll take it from there. Maj, what's going on, man? Yeah, thanks, Bobby.
1: Hey, Paul, Trevor, this is, I'm really glad you guys uh, um, accepted our invitation to be here today. This is a really, uh, gonna be a good time. I think it's gonna really be a nice little stock huddle pit here. So, it should be a lot of fun. And uh, um, I know you've done a lot of, you know, interviews and you've told your story a lot and I'm, I'm glad you're doing it again today. And there's a lot of people in my network probably who would like to know more about what you do. Um, so apologize for some of the repetition, but I think it's good for um, my network to hear your story. Um, it's pretty fascinating. I have I went back and listened to some of your older interviews um, and learned a lot about you. And we got some commonalities too, which is pretty awesome. So I, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm
2: looking forward to it, Maj. Always, always fun to chat with you.
1: Cool, man. So... I guess let's, just, let's get right to it. I mean, let's let's talk about um, now. Yeah, first, you know, talk about your assets, what you do. I mean, in terms, in terms of your, you know, your your website and uh, and then your conference a little bit, and then we'll come back to that later, and then we'll talk about your journey. So let's just uh, let's get into it.
2: Sure. Well, you know what. Um... It's, it, it sort of falls into that, that question I always get asked, and you probably get asked as well, what do you do? Like, what do you do for a living? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, I, I always struggle with that answer. I don't know exactly what I do for a living, but what I, I do know I love to do is uh, I'm an investor, right? So everything that we kind of do as far as any kind of business or or whether it's the, the newsletter or website, it all draws from that same sort of driving, call it North Star. We, we want to, you know, try to be as, uh, as diligent in investing as we possibly can and and our s- sort of piece of real estate we operate in is is you know the microcap space so um you know the website uh, small cap discoveries uh we are dedicated to finding great investing ideas in the microcap space but more specifically in the canadian publicly traded microcap space so um you know that's what we do we we've uh we sort of been at it for a while and um have sort of carved out a a little niche and strategy that works really well for for those particular type of companies
1: and what i found interesting about your story paul is that like actually a lot of you know nano cap higher cap investors is that you, you weren't really didn't have really a background in finance um, so maybe you can talk about that and maybe talk about some of the experiences that kind of set you up for being a good investor and you know, you've done really well um, how did that kind of evolve you think
2: you know what? Um, I mean, I started early as far as gaining an interest in investing, probably my you know late teens, and um, I, I had no real desire to get into the sort of the you know the. The investment space. Other than, I just knew I was going to do something, and you know, I wanted to throw a couple of dollars at the space and, and sort of learn. But uh, originally, I went to school for construction management, which basically gave me no, <laughs> you, you know, no setup for this industry. Um, and uh, uh, you know, literally went and worked in the construction uh, industry and um, started my own construction company for a couple of years. If anything, what it what it really taught me was how much I did not want to do manual labor, right? I did not want to swing a hammer my whole life. So I wanted to do something that I thought was a little easier. And, um, you know, I, I saw, I literally saw an ad in the paper that said uh, they were looking, it was a small, I'd almost call it a bucket shop investment firm that was looking for, you know, brokers. And uh, I was dumb enough to to call the number and, you um, after actually after being refused a spot in their training program, i I was just persistent enough and i I think i I uh, got the uh, secretary so upset that she finally said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take you in one way or another. So um I became a broker. I became an investment advisor and at uh, this little uh, you know crazy, crazy vancouver based uh, brokerage firm, which you can just I mean, just imagine the Americans that are listening right now going, Oh my God, a Vancouver, you know, located brokerage firm. Uh, it was just that it was, uh, it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty iffy, but I, I really cut my teeth and I, I really got to understand, um, especially in the micro cap space, um, how many fly by night companies that were out there that were just, you know, almost utter and complete garbage. And, um, you know, like a lot of us do, I learned the hard way in terms of what works and what doesn't work. And, uh, um, you know, really got to know the industry in the background in in the nanocap space by working there. Um, and uh, and then you know, if I wanted to survive, I had to figure out how to find good companies and leave the bad ones alone. And uh, you know, having done it enough times, I, I think I finally figured it out.
1: I remember when I was um, when I first started, got into, you know investing, and um, early on during my, my journey, uh, I would get these things in the mail. Um, these like, they were like baseball cards, yeah. but they were promotional. I kind of think they were all from Canada. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: There's a huge industry around that. I remember it, it was just such a big deal when you when you heard that, you know, one of the companies that you knew was going to do one of these mailers, if you just, <laughs> it, you got all giddy for some
1: reason. <laughs> right. And uh, I remember, like, I remember, I really don't remember um, how it happened, but I just got a sense that there was a lot of, um, uh, there was a lot of, you know, bad act or just pump and dump stuff going on there. And, and I hadn't really been involved in the pump and dump space at all. But Canada kind of alerted me that that, that it existed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so for so many years, I didn't invest in Canada. and you know, it probably wasn't until maybe the Meyer Cap club, seeing what you were doing. That I really got involved in it, you know, somewhere in the last 10 years. And and it just started, you know, you're seeing that there is opportunity in Canada. And I'm, I'm just from all these twenty past 20 years before that, like, Oh my God, why didn't I look past that? Yeah, And um, it was really interesting. So is there, I mean, maybe you could talk about that. Is, is there a minefield, you know, of, of stocks and how do you avoid it? And do you see lots of investors getting burnt in, in the pump and dumps um, area in, the, in Canada? And how do you basically, how would you advise them to avoid that? And especially for a U.S. investor, who's hold all, heard all these negative things about, you know, investing in Canada, you know, what do you want what do you want to tell them? Well, I, well, a
2: yes. It, there's a lot of, um, like I said earlier, there's a lot of garbage out there, right? So there's um, the, the fact that n- nanocaps are relatively easy to put together is part of the reason why there there's so many, you know, pretty, you know, iffy companies out there. Um, but that's that's your advantage, right? Um, if if 90% are are garbage, everybody's got a perception that that 100% is garbage. So if you can find those five or 10 percent companies that are not, they're typically more mispriced and more uh, sort of lower priced because everybody's not willing to do the work to go and find those. Right. So you got to sift through, you know, for every one decent company, you got to sift through at least nine. Right. If if that percentage is is correct. So, um, you know, we've we've seen. Um, you know, we've certainly seen over the last 10, 20 years, um, a lot more Americans, and international investors coming to start doing the work here because, you know, that, that one in 10 uh, or maybe one in 20, one in 50, whatever the number uh, is, turns out to be, you know, like an Expel or a Hamilton Thorn or a number of other companies that, that are these little gems that are kind of hidden in, in the pile of, you know, horse dung that, that, uh, right. <laughs> that the nanocap space can be, right? <laughs>
1: So, I mean, how was your, you know, your your first experience? And you, I think you were buying stocks when you were eighteen or nineteen. You had said, mm-hmm. uh, "Do you remember those first stocks and those names?" And it was it did you have success right away off the bat, or did you have a battle failure? Yeah, I, I would,
2: I, I, you know, a little bit more failure than than success, but um, it wasn't like I, I started with blue chips. I, I that was my introduction and in investing was. You know, trying to find a solid blue chip that might go up 10 or 20% in a year, that'd, that'd be a good year. And then you sort of slowly creep down into the more speculative space. And uh, um, I'd, I mean, it, you know, most of the early stocks I bought, it wasn't, they were successful or not. It was that they didn't satisfy my psyche. They didn't satisfy sort of what I was kind of hoping, you know, it, you remember wall you know, you see the movie wall street and somebody's making a million dollars off an investment. Well, I wasn't going to do that by buying $1,000 of a blue chip company. Right. So it just didn't get my blood going, right? So I started going down market to look for that, that a bit of a high. Um, and that's where I really started making mistakes. So it was like, you know, you, you have to make these
1: mistakes before you can get good at it. And uh, thankfully, I did it early. You actually end up ever end up investing in a fraudulent company that you didn't know was fraudulent or just a, a bad business? Which one where were you having some of your mistakes there earlier? Oh, on? you know
2: what? Everything. <laughs> you right. named it like, uh, I, I remember a full up fraud one time. It was, uh, of all, of course, of all places, it was in the mining space. Um, that some company had, uh, as a matter of fact, it was a U.S. company that company listed up in Canada, so no, no no
1: disrespect for, for americans we had our share here don't believe me yeah no, no i know trust me I, I i know that for sure i don't mean to knock canada here we're going to get to the u.s shit too <laughs>
2: that's right um no it was a full of fraud it was a company that claimed they they found a new way to discover gold or a new way to identify gold in the ground and you know the stock had started to run it was going crazy and i thought i was going to get rich and then one day it was just it was halted and. And a news release comes out and basically said, there is absolutely nothing here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Take a hike. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, you, you you start to learn that side pretty quickly. Now, I don't know how old a lot of your listeners are, but then the other big one in Canada that sort of sent a jolt for everybody it was a company called BriEx, And that was another, you know, large mining uh, company. And it, there's a preponderance for for scams in the mining business because it's so easy to do it or it's it's, it was extremely easy to to put together fraudulent deals back then um so i mean early on i learned that that was the sector i wanted to stay away from so i certainly learned that out of it but yeah i mean i've I've invested everything from frauds to to just (laughs) pure bad businesses so
1: (laughs) i remember when i was uh i was i had some when i started having success I started taking it you know, early on at some when I did, you know, going past the failures, or whatever, and then I had some success and like, I'm um, get cocky. I, I made a pretty large bet at that time for me into a company. Uh, it was called Littlefield Adams actually. The symbol was LFA. Back then it was on the Amex. I don't know. I think it's still around today on the OTC somewhere. And, um, yeah, I interviewed it was one of the first companies I interviewed. So I'm getting, you know, an, that whole process going, they made t-shirts and clothing and they had like a allegedly, allegedly like a Looney tunes kind of, agreement where they had these allegedly, you know, exclusive license to do all this stuff. And I thought, all right I, I found that the earnings were growing, sales were growing. You know, the guy was like from Texas I and mean, I loved investing in these, you know, kind of like Texas companies. And, um, you know, then I saw the he, the guy made actually made the cover of Forbes and sitting there, you know, you know, on a chair reclining. And I guess I remember the picture was him in his cowboy boots with his feet on the table. I got this. It's a great Forbes. I think it was actually, I think it was Forbes. And um, like, about a month later, everything just fell apart. It was all on fraud. And I remember my buddy at the time was working at Merrill Lynch and he was my partner uh, uh, shortly after that for a while. And we wrote a newsletter early on where he got an office and uh, he got in trouble because he was buying the stock and it was a, was a whole fucking mess. And it was, it was my fault because, and um, I remember that being my first situation and going through it was interesting because, um, you know, I, 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 was, I didn't know how I was going to feel. I, I actually got out of it on time, it, you know. It was I, I got out of the stock. It was halted and didn't open up. It opened down, but I was up so much in it. That I still made money in it. I remember, wow! I don't want to ever be in that again. I got really lucky by taking that big bet, and that's you know. I started really thinking I got to really start digging deeper in these things, and it was a, and that wasn't even an OTC company. That was listed on the Amex, <laughs> you know. And you can just imagine, and it's really scary. And you have these documents, and you think you trust everything, and you just, it's it's just really a. Uh, unbelievable situation that, that can happen in the space
2: oh yeah i mean it happens yeah i mean we've seen it happen in big stocks as well but i go back to briex and briex probably had you know nine out of the top 10 mining analysts in canada were were following it and covering it and giving these glowing reports on it and it was a complete and utter scam there was nothing there so yeah it's, it's um you know, a lot of a lot of media likes to pick on the microcaps and nanocaps as scams, but they're everywhere. It's just some of them are a lot more sophisticated than others. So um, I, I think it's just a lesson that you got to be careful no matter where you're playing.
1: It is true, man. And I think we get an unfair rap in the nanocaps space because it's it's mm-hmm. there's there's more. It's actually harder fraud to spot probably in bigger companies, right? Because you have all the coverage. There, you know, there's there's more manipulation they can do in the balance sheets and stuff, and it's hard to find it.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, and, and so, in some way, it's kind of once you get into the space and start doing it, it's easier to find a nano cap space and you can, you can spot it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's um, something interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, so if you're moving on and you're, you're, you're doing this for a while and you're, um, at some point you're going nano cap and did you, did you ever experiment with the U S companies? Was it always Canada?
2: Oh, actually, no. I, I mean, I've, um, I, I had some really big su- success with some of the U.S. listed companies. Um, in fact, one of, my, one of my biggest wins ever was a company called Metafast, um, which yeah. uh, I, you know is actually a, one of the best performing stocks in, in, in a long while. But um, And they made these sort of doctored prescribed uh, shakes for weight loss and stuff like that. And uh, it was an OTC stock, I think it was trading around 20 $0.30, cents, that went to $30, $40. Um, so I, I never – like it's not an issue for me to, to invest in otc or us-based companies The 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 issue has more to do with the process that we use to find them right so we you know trevor and i uh, scour all the cedar filings in canada right so it's similar to edgar in the states we literally go through every quarterly and annual filing there is that comes out every day so to do that to replicate that in the us we probably have to start using some sort of software to do that and if and if we did we lose some of the value in what we do right so we just decided we, we'd shrink the sort of the landscape or the the universe that we work from and then really dive deep into the that that universe so that's that's the only reason do i um can we find sort of the same kind of companies in the us using our methodology i'd say yes mm-hmm. but we're, we're finding enough in canada that keeps us really busy
1: yeah I can, and that's the same thing i when i when i look at my situation in the u.s and you know, there's just so much opportunity for me from my perspective it's hard to go to spend enough time for me in canada but we are doing it here and there but i definitely see what you're talking about there's just so much opportunity in some of the markets we already play in that mm-hmm. is, it really, is it really do we really need to do that um so you, you kind of talked about your process let's let's kind of get into that in a little bit now um, one mm-hmm. thing i love about what you do uh you you, have a, you really um value the qualitative you mean you're really digging into companies and trying mm-hmm. to understand a company, I think, even before you get into the numbers, maybe. Um, but you talk about, um, on, on some other pod- I know you were on Tobias's Carlisle's, um, mm-hmm. you know, the podcast and you talked about your 10 point kind of a checklist. And do you still, do you have that in front of you? You can, can you talk about that? You, you had like a, I, I, I mean, I don't have in front of
2: me, I can tell you, I can sort of offhand tell you the, the major points of it. Right. So, um, you know, we we are investors in the microcap space because that's where you're gonna find really rapidly growing companies, right? If if you're gonna, you know, find the next hundred bagger, you need two things. And one is you need to find a company that's growing very quickly, and you need to find it when it's mispriced, right? So that's kind of what we're looking for. The, the first key thing that we look for every time we look through a set of financials is we wanna see that a company is growing very quickly. Right. So, you know, and sort of the level that we use is a bit of a hurdle is twenty five percent year over year um, revenue growth on a per share basis. Right. So, you know, provided the company doesn't blow up its its uh, capital structure by acquiring companies or things like that. And that's where the growth is coming from. We want to kind of see organic growth of at least twenty five percent or higher. And there's a real good solid reason for that. But then the other key thing we're looking for is you want to see profitability or near profitability or at the very least um, positive cash flow. Because what that does is it takes away one of the real big risks that a lot of investors don't talk about in the microcap space. And that's dilution risk. Right. Um, that's typically a killer in the microcap space. So those two things alone, if it literally if you went with those two things alone, you cover about 90 percent of what we consider the key metrics that you look for in a in a successful microcap uh, and then you start going down light line, line item by line item you're looking for things like um, you know the you know we want to see higher gross margins rather than low, lower growth margins we want to see um, you know ultimately we want to see um, management teams and board of directors with a meaningful stake in the company um, you know we want to see that at, so one, one of the criteria we talk about that's not necessarily high in the list, but it's it's a factor is um what we call the discovery element or discovery process. How well known is the company, right? If there's already three analysts covering it, well, we're less likely to be interested. But you know, if if nobody's talking about it, um, if if nobody is talking about it on bulletin boards or in the microcap club or any of these these places, that's a good sign for us. Um, so it's a lot of it, there's there's a good deal of quantitative, but also a little bit of qualitative that we get involved with to really see if it's something that we want to try to really build our conviction around. So that's kind of it. I mean, it, it, everything else is minor, you know, you know, price earnings ratio has a factor, mm-hmm. but you know, that's even a movable target. Right.
1: Also, awesome. Yeah. We have, we have a, like a 10 point checklist too. And I think a lot of what you just talked about is on ours too. So it's pretty awesome to mm-hmm. see you're doing the same thing in Canada. Yeah. The capital structure and dilution is, like you said, something that no the money investor don't even talk about, and it's probably the most, maybe the most significant factor that can eventually, you know, make or break a multi-bagger.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, yeah I mean, I, it, it's it's work. It's worked both ways, right? You see a company all of a sudden out of out of nowhere decide they're going to blow up their cap table, and uh, you know that that's uh, that, that's not going to help in the long run.
1: So, yeah. So if you have, um, you know, something we do a lot here in, in a, a geo is this little informa- information arbitrage thing. We like to use the little term, throw it around, mm-hmm. and information arbitrage, and it's basically trying to find information that's maybe in a um, not um, in a filing or maybe a conference call transcript that's not, you know, in a press release. You don't see that much in big cap land.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, do you have? Do you see that opportunity arise a lot in the Canadian kind of? Um, uh, a universe, and I guess is—is is there a conference called transcript um, the, the, a repository where we can uh, for Canada, like there is in the U.S., like in an Alpha?
2: Yeah, you, you know what, there may be, but I've never—I've never found one in Canada. So I, I'd love to find one, and if not, maybe that's an opportunity to start. Suppose, yeah, man, we might have
1: to talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'll keep it quiet. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, just, I just, I know, and I know just the Canadian company we got to talk to, so we'll talk about that later. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um,
2: no, so, you know what? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's the, that's almost the fun part of this business is you, you're you trying to find that little edge where you can go find a little nugget of information that might not necessarily be, you know, in the broad public domain. Um, and we find that from time to time. Now, uh, you know i think another big advantage we have is yes because i used to work in the industry and i know a lot of the contacts and i know where to get you know some sort of information that is still public but just a little harder for everybody to get you use those resources right you call up joe or you call up some guy that that might work in 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 this the sector and you just try to find out something that that's a little harder for everybody else to get access to so um that's the fun part. That's the fun part is finding that little nugget that, that everybody else has a challenge finding.
1: Right. Yeah, and you talk about the edges. So you have, you, I think you have some edges that give you some unique perspective. One of them I um, was that you, you do some private equity stuff too, or you invest in private companies also. And hmm. um, I think that, does, does that help you at all? Has that helped you, uh, helped you at all in the nano cap space, knowing having ex- exposure to that area or is it totally different?
2: You know, I I think it it helps me in my mindset. Um, What what I find a lot in the microcap space is that the guys that tend to do well are guys that actually have either run a business or been very involved in a real business where you have to make sure payroll is taken care of. You got to make sure, you know, you're you're paying your taxes on time and all those things that are necessary for a small company to be successful. Um, You you, got to take that approach. You got to take private equity type of, quantitative analysis approach, the microcap space to give you an extra edge. And I think that's um again another another advantage um that that you know savvy investors have and and a lot of times it's not you know the business degree, it's the the street smarts you get from running a business that becomes so um so needed. In investing in microcaps like i like everybody thinks it's just the ceo gets up every morning and he you know he puts out a press release and and that's kind of it that's all he does but behind the scenes he's wearing 50 different hats he's <laughs> having a bad day because his kids didn't do their homework it's everything right you just got to be able to know that there's so many variables in the background you
1: know right right yeah. well so when you your your checklist for the private equity firms at my calculator your private firms is that a little different than the public companies? Um, Cause you are investing some startups. I would assume Yeah, you know, when you're more yeah. private arena,
2: you know what um, we don't, we don't like to invest in startups and it's, we we like to invest in companies that have some, some sort of commercial success already. So what we, what we actually did when we started investing in companies that were still private, we took the, the sort of public market approach we had and just brought it to the the private space so you know we're still looking for the same things we want to see high growth we want to see you know the right kind of valuation we want to see the you know the, the ceo has got the right kind of vested interest in it all those factors come to play down there the advantage you have is typically a public company has higher metrics so you know a company that's trading in the public space might be trading at 10 times earnings but you can go find the similar business in the private space maybe trading at three or four times earnings and then the advantage we have is that that sort of public-private arbitrage. We want to take that company that's, that we can buy for three or four times earnings and take it public, where the market wants to give it ten times earnings. You get that lift, right? So it, it's, but it's all driven on dollars. It's all driven on a real sort of value comparison to something that's publicly traded.
1: Well, I guess a big and, question: How do you find them? I mean, finding public companies is easy. I mean, or easier, you have. A myriad of places you can search for them. How do you come across your private um, company opportunities? Is that yeah, a I mean,
2: I thank, <laughs> <it>?
1: thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, I'm almost 100
2: years old, so I've, I've <laughs> aggregated contacts all over the place for over those hundred years. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, a lot of that it becomes word of mouth. We, you know, we've got lawyers, we've got accountants, we've got all sorts of people that we, you know, that that sort of are part of our network. And every now and then, they'll come to us with an idea and say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Um, or we, we get lucky and we find, you know doing our due diligence on a publicly traded company, we find another comparable that's that's private. And you know in talking with them, we find out that they want to do an acquisition or they want to grow or they want to do something. Um, and we take advantage of that. Um, but where we find the real opportunities are when you've got some sort of succession issue or some business that's you know chucking along quite nicely. And, um, you know, the owner is 65 years old and his kid doesn't want to take over the business and he's kind of sitting there with a business that might be, you know, doing a couple million dollars a year in, in earnings or EBITDA or whatever you want to call it uh, or less. And they can't really find a buyer at the right price. So that's where we come along and say, wait a minute. OK, you're going to sell it for three times earnings. We'll give you four times earnings. Right. And then and then we can take advantage of that. But it's a real business. It's not it's not a startup. Um, we've got, you know, public market comparables. We can see where there's the arbitrage, and, and that's how we take advantage of, uh, um, yep. an opportunity like that.
1: In those situations, how active are you getting involved in the company? Are you actually helping to put new management in place potentially? Um, and, um, I'm, I'm curious about that because that would obviously be a little different approach to the public company.
2: Yeah. So yes and no. So sometimes it's, we've done both. We've seen where, you know, sort of when, when you when you're buying a business like this, it doesn't come with management. Sometimes it does. But that's that's the other critical piece in trying to make it all work is make sure you've got somebody who's got, uh, you know, a vested interest and and the skill set that um, that can take it forward. We've, we've had success in putting good management in. We've had, you know, the, the flip side where we've had a couple of bad, uh, bad fits. Um, and you, just, you have to, you know, the business has to be sustainable enough to, to deal with any sort of missteps you have um and yeah but but that's that's the advantage is um if you can find the right uh right situation right people uh right price um there's some pretty good upside
1: is there more opportunity for a a private firm to well maybe to have some mistrust in the financials and verifying financials versus because you know you have this um, you have the public documents you can reference a public company yeah um do you you find that be challenging or do you have a little bit of mistrust in that
2: yeah, so um yeah, always, right? I mean, you, you, you step into all this stuff, assuming there's there's always something potentially wrong. The thing about taking any of these companies public or even during your due diligence, most of them have you know accounting uh, or you know documents of some kind. They file taxes. there's there's a ream of stuff. And especially if a company's already preparing itself to be sold, um you're going to have a set of financials that are somewhat either you know approved by an accountant or especially if you're going public you're gonna have to get them audited anyways right so part of the process is getting an auditor to come in and, and validate them as much as they can so it, it lessens the risk substantially but it doesn't you know make it go away 100 percent
1: um it, absolutely that that's that's a big issue every time you look at some of these uh, private companies so you, you got into sometimes like the seventh inning and said, I got to bail from this where you it was looking oh, yeah. really, really good. And then you come to that last. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> You're constantly the, the way I always term it is you're always looking for that reason to say no. Right. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's you know, you, you, you're just constantly looking for that. And we've done that. We've literally had. I've had two deals that I'd say eleventh hour. We said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh this is just not smelling right. There's something." You get you get cold feet and you, you leave them at the altar. Um, it happens. It happens.
1: How long does that process usually take when you're when you're evaluating a private company that you want to get involved in? Is it is, is a multi? I mean, is a year process? Less than a year probably. How does that work for you?
2: Yeah, I I say on on the short end, you're looking at probably i'd say eight months i can't think of anyone that's taken less than eight months to a year and a half i think that's kind of ballpark for i mean these are relatively small companies so it's not like there's there's a lot of work to do but there is a, a sort of it's again it's like dating you, you got to get a, a sense of comfort and sometimes you feel it a little earlier sometimes you don't um so you you got to like you're, you're going to take this leap at some point with this company and say, okay, we well, got to get it across the goal line. We're going to be involved for quite a while. So we got to make sure that, that everything is checking out as well as possible. And then, you know, to some point you you close your eyes and you make that leap. Right. So, um, yeah, but timing wise, I'd say a good sort of eight, to eight months, a year and a half.
1: Now I was noticing on your Twitter feed uh, I saw something that caught my attention that, do, you, do your um, subscribers get involved in some of these private deals that you're doing um, and you, you'd let them participate?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, so we do. Um, and, and they're not necessarily in, in private companies at this point, they're, they're private placements in public companies. Okay. These are all, you know, companies that are, you know, already, you know, trading. They've got full audited statements, the, the whole thing. But one, one of the advantages that we have is that a lot of deals that come to us, we're kind of, they the only real contact that these companies have with, Call it the public markets and we start to build a bit of a relationship with them and rather than them going to an investment bank um and trying to do a you know a sort of a standard financing where there's gonna be commissions and and um you know you get you get brokers or investment banks that are really doing this on a transactional basis kind of once they raise the money they're gone um we're not like that we're a lot more long term we're putting our own money at stake so um it's a little bit different communication with that that sort of that issuer um and we built a bit of a relationship with them already so it' it's, it's a great opportunity because a lot of times we're able to get it slightly cheaper than what you know the traditionally investment banks can do because we're not charging commission and um, it's more solid money and because we've got a bit of a track record working with so many companies we're seeing more and more companies coming to us first so it's it's
1: uh, it's worked out really well man, it's a pretty awesome opportunity man because uh it's not a it's, you know buying a public company just yeah, you know for what it is is, is is one thing but now when you start getting into trying to get into the financing and trying to participate in financing it's 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 a different ball game there's a special skill to that so it's it's good that they have you to do that with i mean that's pretty awesome
2: well it, it helps again that i i worked in the industry so i kind of know you know what, what works and what doesn't work out there so it, it's uh it, it's neat and it works out well for everybody involved that's that's kind of nice thing is it's, uh, it's a win-win for everybody
1: now, obviously, uh, part of your process is interview management teams. I think that that's a really, really big part of what you do. I mean, management, 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 know what you're investing in, who you're investing in. And I, um, I saw something. You have how many have you interviewed in the last six months? I, I saw a tweet there. Was it was crazy. Um,
2: I, I, well, we're. I think it's thirty-three or forty comp, thirty-three or thirty-four companies in the last six months. Yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome. uh, and that and that's that's the ones that we've actually posted on our YouTube channel. We've yeah. we've probably done okay. sixty or seventy. Some that will never see the light of day <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah. and others that, uh, you know, we sort of do a bit of a, uh, an early interview to see if the company is even something we're interested in. And then we typically follow that up with something that's that,
1: that we post our YouTube channel. Yeah. Right, right. Cool, cool. And uh, is, is Trevor, uh, Trevor, you, are you involved in these interviews too?
3: Oh, yeah. I'm just, yeah. Uh, I'm the host. I make the nice intro for Paul and he takes it away from there. Right. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sort of on the back end helping out with the technical side and uh, helping, you know, source and find some of these sort of undiscovered microcaps that generally just aren't being discussed whatsoever. So I, I'm helping bridge all those gaps.
1: Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so uh, one thing, guys, and I think you you do you really believe in momentum investing, which is pretty awesome because that's how I for, for the first first 20 years of my career, I was, I was all momentum. I was, I was reading the new high list, track it. And uh, that's where I got a lot of my ideas from. I think Paul, that's where you're doing a lot of, um, a lot of your idea generation comes from that new high list too. Um, is that still the crux of what you do with momentum? Is that a big part of what you do? Uh, have you kind of evolved from that at all? Or is that just too good? Just to, is there any reason to go yeah. outside that?
2: Yeah. You know what? Um, so that's really uh I, it, it's a point that I used very, you know, very significantly, or I did early on because of what uh, what I learned. There, there was a book that really changed the way I built my strategy, um, uh, called How to Make Money in Stocks by William O'Neill. I'm sure a lot of people know that, but it really flipped on its on its ear, sort of how I went about looking for companies. And one of the key criteria is you want to see a company that's trading or breaking out into a new 52-week high. So that's always resonated with me. The, the challenge though, a lot of times is that is being driven by some event or some, you know, an accumulation of events. And I think in the micro cap space, you now we, I think we've gotten big enough as a network to become that, that accumulation ourselves, right? So we're trying to find fundamentally sound companies that, um, that aren't necessarily hitting 52 highs, but there's a good chance that if things work, we're the driver of that, right? So um, so as far as momentum, yeah, we love momentum, but what we really love is that we love it when we start the momentum. And, you know, we, we're, we're called small cap discoveries. And the reason why it was called discoveries is because we think there's a real interesting dynamic in the micro cap space where you see a lot of these companies, they're doing great business and they're just, you know, plodding along very sort of quietly and no, no reaction to share price. And all of a sudden something happens The stock either know jumps on the back of a you know quarterly statement or or maybe a newsletter covers it or you know they're interviewed on tv or something but that starts the discovery process right so all of a sudden the stock might hit a new 52-week high um but then i've seen it right the momentum that starts and continues from that could be years and years and years on end right and i know of one company that i can go back five or six years and and I, I know the discovery process started and the stocks up, you know, a hundred, 120 times from that original discovery process. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the beauty of a 52 week highs is um, especially if you're a smaller retail investor and you're looking for that, you can be nimble enough to play around that. But if you've got a large amount of capital to work with, it's a lot harder to, to, to only look for 52 week highs, right? You got to look for fundamentals that justify it.
1: Sure. And I know when um. I mean, I actually started tracking like the three-month, six-month highs too, trying uh, to try and get a little earlier uh, kind of beat mm-hmm. on that. And when I was, um, you know, the, the, the referencing the IBD, you know, and they canceled mm-hmm. them early on, of course. We on, and I would look at the, um, I would try and find them before the favorable numbers came out. Like so I, I guess they had the ranking, right? they have two rankings: an earnings score ranking and maybe a momentum ranking, mm-hmm. a maybe institutional ranking. And I used to try and find the ones that weren't quite there yet, um, like. Mm-hmm on on the and see if how many of those might get there eventually. So kind of the same thing what you're doing, right? You're, you're trying to get it before yeah. it, everyone well, else has seen it. the
2: The other advantage I had was they weren't covering any Canadian stocks back then, right? When, when, right? when that really took took off. And I'd almost argue, well, if they were, they were covering the bigger ones, right? These you know what you guys call microcaps in the states, <laughs> we call blue chips. <laughs> you know we, we call you know big cap. So the the beauty uh, when I really started off was that um, I could go and check the fifty two week highs in Canada, and nobody was checking out fifty two week <laughs> Like I remember, I was I was working as a broker at the time, and and uh, my my you know one of my managers thought I I you know lost a, lost a lobe in my brain or something. <laughs> that didn't make any sense. You buy low, you sell high. You sell yeah. when it's sitting there. But you know what really happened was um, I was just this this rookie broker, and I I decided to to put together this newsletter following that strategy in Canada, and I had no idea if it was going to work. But it was a real time sort of um, you know experiment on whether it worked or not. And the result, I literally would find a fit, new 52-week guy every week. So every week I'd come up with a new pick, and um, the performance over the first year was staggering it was like i we literally beat every i, I think every hedge fund in north america that year wow uh, it was phenomenal so clearly something was working right and uh but that's it, it gave me the conviction to really build around that strategy and that's i you know the strategy we use is tailored around how to make money in stocks and the canceling theory but it's it's really tailored to the canadian nano cap market
1: and it, and it clearly works clearly works mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trevor, was that, Trevor, did you use, was momentum part of your strategy before you came to Small Cap or was that something you were introduced to uh, when, you, when you joined Paul?
3: No, no, my my strategy is a little bit different. Uh, f- funny enough, my uh, my intro into CDAR, uh, which is, you know, the, the regulatory filings here, uh, was actually a sales tool for me. So I, I used to work at a, a marketing firm on the other side of this, uh, helping out with the promotional activities for companies. And uh, of course, that was my intro to uh, a, a whole sales funnel. So that was my intro to CDAR. And I I just got familiar with the process uh, starting then. But um, yeah, I mean, you you know, a lot of my strategy is kind of similar to what Paul's doing. You know, I work with Paul, I, you know, I've worked around some of the guys in microcap and just try to soak it all in as much as I can. And, you know, generally a lot of the companies that I'm finding are are Canadian based, Um, you know, they're, they're cheap, they're, they're really just undiscovered. and, And again, driven by that discovery process. But um, yeah, for, for me, just kind of working around the industry, working at the stock exchange, uh, working at sort of a boutique merchant bank, as well as a marketing firm, you, you tend to figure out kind of who's doing what and where. And I actually think this would be an interesting thing for uh, the discussion we're having here today. But, you know, a, a big part of the leverage uh, that Paul and Small Cap Discoveries has in Canada is that network. And you know, some of these companies, it might not be about the valuation, but it might be about fixing some of the problems so then it can become more investable by everybody else. And so leveraging that network and the people around it to make these companies more investable is actually a big part of the opportunity.
1: Awesome. And, and speaking of Cedar, while well, we're on it, Trevor, Or um, do you have a a, a way to track for, uh, insider buying uh, through the filings that we do here in the U.S.? through the four and four filings.
3: Yeah, so, so here in Canada, we've got SETI, and SETI is the same sort of equivalent in here. Um, for me, I've got a few other platforms I use that are, uh, you know, um, they've got an API feed with the SETI. So anytime there's an insider buy, it kind of pops up on my my platform. So very much similar, uh, very similar to you guys. And again, if you just want to go back and, and research any of the insiders, just go right to SETI.
1: Hey guys, when is CDAR going to stop making you put a caption every time you got to go on the site? Is there a way to get around that? (laughs)
3: Well, that's—I
1: don't
2: want him to do that because you know that extra effort is probably preventing fifty percent of the investors from uh, from doing what we do. (laughs) Make it harder. Make it harder.
1: (laughs) Do you find the filings to be um, uh, just the filing journey in CDAR to be different than the SEC filings, or is it once you distill, is it the same eventually, or do you you like CDAR better in terms of the disclosures and? How to do the research, or, um, or is it all the same in the end for you?
2: You, you? you know what? From from a purely financial standpoint, I think it's actually for us. It's it seems to be more transparent in on CEDAR. Um, it's almost like when I get into an Edgar filing, it seems like a different language altogether. It's uh, <laughs> right. uh, um, but uh, no. I mean, if I'm sure, if we spend enough time, you know, familiarizing ourselves with it, it's uh, it, it's got to be very comparable.
1: Great, great. And uh, you're you're definitely a concentrated investor, right? You like you take big bets in your favorite stocks. I think you said right. So yeah,
2: yeah, we do. Uh, you know, I think a big part of being successful in microcaps is you got to be able to earn conviction to be able to hold a large position and and have it work. Um, you know, I've I've seen the opposite where, you know, I, I was sort of you know slicing and dicing a bunch of different things and had a very diversified portfolio then i'd have a stock go up 10 times in value but it almost had a meaning meaningless you know effect on my portfolio and it didn't make a lot of sense so so we've kind of gone the other way where we're we're prepared to get quite concentrated because we know um we know what can do when it works and um because we're so familiar with the opportunity we think that we can see something go wrong early enough and then the other big piece is, you know, anytime you're doing this, you, you got to have some degree of some sort of margin of safety so that you can feel comfortable enough that even if it goes kind of sideways on you, you you know, it's not going to, it's not going to kill you, right. It's going to, you know, it might, might lop off an arm or something, but at least you'll, you'll survive <laughs> once you get a tourniquet on there. Um, so no, I, I'm not afraid to, to be concentrated. I mean, we warned a lot of our newsletter subscribers that, you know, it might not be for you. If, if you've got the psyche for it, go for it. If you don't, then uh, no harm in being a little more diversified.
1: Are you striking hard, big? I mean, you when you like a company, are you trying to get a big position really quick or are you doing it over time, you think? Um,
2: no, no. Because, again, experience is a great teacher, right? I've, I've been around enough uh, companies where um, if, if you find the right company, you're going to have a five-year-plus successful run in the stock. So there's no point in trying to get your whole position day one you want to get, again, it's like dating, right? You want to kind of, you want to slowly get to understand the opportunity, build a little bit of confidence, and there's no harm in, in, in paying more and getting a bigger position as they execute. You actually want that, right? We, we tend to sort of buy a quarter to a third uh, when we find something we really like, and then we're looking for a reason to, to increase our position. And more and more times that's at a higher price because they're executing and because the discovery process is working
1: so um do you know how the, how um in terms of time horizon and what's what's the longest you've held a held stock um
2: uh believe it or not the longest i've held an investment is 20 years nice yeah. um now that it did did, did not turn out perfect oh, okay. so to <laughs> say it was not something that makes me happy about but um no i mean so you know I, maybe it's as you get older you start to just be lazier or crusty or whatever the term is, but um, you got to be prepared to, if it's the right company, you, you got to be prepared to hold it for however long it keeps doing the right things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side, if they're doing the wrong things, you have to be prepared to cut it as, as quick as you can. So it's, you know, the old adage, you hold your winners and you sell your losers. Um, but yeah, I've, I've held, I've held as long as 20 years, but I think I'd say on average, the bulk of the returns we find you're going to get in the sort of first three to five years. Okay, Awesome.
1: And in terms of valuation, um, do you care? I mean, I know, I'm a big fan of Connor Haley. I think you are, too. Yeah. And, um, and he talks about P.E. sometimes being too much of an overused metric sometimes. And how do you view P price to earnings, price to sales? What do you what do you do you care about valuation in the short term when you're looking five years out? or are you looking more at the business and just is it going to be bigger in five years how do you yeah
2: no so you know we 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 want to try to get as many odds on our side as possible and if if you go into it thinking there's there's just a lot of opportunities out there so not don't don't settle on something that's good try to settle on something that's great right so part of being great is you got to find something that's got some sort of low price you know in or so low price metric right Price earnings is not the only answer. You gotta you gotta sort of think outside the box, and you're gonna find companies that are trading that that sort of um, disguise their earnings, or you know, like a lot of SaaS businesses. You're gonna see that they're not upfront. They might not be you know generating a lot of earnings, but they're generating a lot of value. And um, what we tend to do is not so much fixate on hard numbers, but but look at comparables, look at the industry, look at a lot of other factors that would say, okay, in this you know particular industry this is the cheapest of the group and then you got to find out if it's cheap for the wrong reasons or if it's cheap for the right reasons and it's just a function of discovery then you got something right so you know we've and and the other thing I've learned is that you know there is no real thing as a cheap price to earnings ratio um, in in the growth space right I've paid 50 times earnings which somebody would think that's expensive But, um, you know, if it's a company that's growing at 100 percent a year, as far as we're concerned, that's cheap. Right. So so it it really is a bit of a moving target. But, um, yeah, we're I mean, we want to find something that we can argue is cheap. um, But A lot of times it's it's in relationship to to other opportunities.
1: Yeah. By the way, if you can remind me, I'd like to have you on it again. So I'm not talking about SaaS. I think you wrote an article about that on your Mm -hmm. site. Maybe we can have you back on talking about that. So sure, sure,
2: sure. Yeah, yeah we love SaaS businesses. We absolutely love them.
1: Yeah. That was a great article. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we if we look at your um, some of your case, let's look at some of your case studies. Let's get to that point now and maybe talk about um, some of your war stories where you where you lost money, where you you really thought you had it right. Um, uh, maybe where you sold too early, like a great stock you sold too early, and maybe some of your big winners that you've held on to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm cover some others, mm-hmm. maybe.
2: Sure. I've got a lot of war, war <laughs> the worst that I've tried to push out of my memory. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my, I might have to go see my shrink after this. So, um, yeah, no, you know what? Um, so I think, I, you know, if you spend enough time in this space, you're going to have a lot of, uh, you know, things that you learn from. We'll call them, you know, learning exercises. Um, you know, like I said earlier, there, there's been frauds. There's been uh, examples of just, poor businesses where we, uh, you know, we we had a different thesis, and and you know our thesis didn't didn't work out. Um, but I I you know specific companies, you know, the one that that's probably still the freshest wound is a company that we, like I said, I held for 20 years. Uh, we actually helped it go public, um, and uh, stock ran really hard, did real well, and and sort of got a lot of market attention. But um, it it's it was a sector that we believed had um, more sort of opportunities in it than it really did. Um, and, then, and then probably our biggest mistake is we got comfortable with the, the, uh, the company and the theme and the industry, we, we got comfortable. And I think that's the mistake in this business is you've got to constantly be um, you know, asking again, why would you hold this? Would this be a position you'd buy uh, fresh if you didn't already have a level of comfort here, um, so it was it, in this case, what happened was they they had landed a, a large amount of of work um, and um, had a real high concentration of that work with one customer, and um, the customer pulled the, the business. So it went from you know 50, 60 million dollars in backlog to basically five uh, overnight, right? So the company took a hit. And um, you know the the good thing is because of my experience with these things, um, we we sold out. We flat out went to our, our subscribers and said we're out. Uh, we don't want to look back. We're not going to point fingers. We're not going to say what if, um, because the, the the sense or the the belief I have is that you you've got physical currency. You know you've got that that dollars invested in that company, but you also have mental currency, right? And if if you if you're still going to spend that mental currency on something that's not working um you're, you're gonna miss the next one right you're gonna mix miss the, the the opportunity because you're not thinking clearly so we said cut it out boom let's start you know using that mental currency elsewhere
1: so that, that was that was you know, so it's, like a, it's like a bad breakup when you when you when you do it it's hard. well the hard part is thinking about it when you do it you feel great though sometimes right you, you get over it and it's like it, you gotta you gotta mourn it you gotta go through the whole process you gotta go get drunk you know that whole thing yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and you're uh, let's talk about some of your big winners that you've actually um you know uh, actually what's what's actually some, something you told us you you sold too early something you held okay, on to. so
2: that that's what i want to say because i probably learned the most by that than anything else losing money Happens, and yeah, you're going to learn how to do it better next time. But the biggest mistake I ever made was there, there was a couple of them that I sold too soon, and I'll even mention the name. It was a it was a company called Bowflex, and this was years and years ago. And everybody knows the exercise machine and kind of what's since happened from there. But um, I was a broker at the time. I was recommending the stock to a lot of my clients, and I, I'm going to say I'm. Mean, it's going by a bit of memory, but the stock was trading around 70, 80 cents. And uh, this is a company. The numbers were just phenomenal, right? They were growing at like two, three hundred percent a year. They're profitable. They're trading like eight, nine times earnings. It was just something that it was, you know, microcap dreams are made of. Um, and and lo and behold, the stock. And I'd be phoning clients and saying, we got to buy some of this, and they would say, no, it's garbage. Look, it's a, it's you know, I see the infomercials. It's a fad. It's this. It's a hundred different reasons not to buy it. But the, the few clients that I that managed to convince to buy it, they, you know, they bought it. I had a position myself and the stock within about a year, the stock had run from about 70, 80 cents, to like 10, 11, $12. Wow. So it, was, it was a huge win. Right. And of course it's a huge win. So what do you do with a huge win? You sell it. Right. Right. Um. Uh, within two or three years, it hit $250. Wow. And it just, it was a monster. Right. And probably one of the, and it was a canadian listed company eventually moved to nasdaq and went to i think new york stock exchange and still and it's called nautilus now so it's still
1: nls you know, okay. that's, that's them yeah. okay okay Great. that's it
2: that's it. it it used to be a seven cent penny stock on the on the uh, toronto stock exchange so right. um but what i learned was um i you know why did i sell it i sold it because i was out right and and that, that's literally the dumbest reason to sell something right because the stock doesn't care if you're up, you know, if it's a good business, you know, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Apple, whether it's any one of these things that turn into hundred bangers, they don't care if you bought it at a buck and sold it at two. If it's going to go to a thousand dollars, it's going to do it with or without you. So, you know, get your ego out of it and say, I'm going to hold this until it stops executing or the valuation is so egregious that I can find something better somewhere else. Right. So that's where I really learned a lot from that. And and. Got to really understand that. That you, you've got to really have a sell strategy that makes sense. Uh, otherwise, you're going to miss all these opportunities.
1: Now, one stock I think uh expel which is one you and I, I had. That's one of my. I had owned that. I think around. I think you had found it around what 17, 18 cents or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And I yep. think I bought it around then. And I think I might have sold it to uh, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know you know when it was falling i, I saw it on two three then then they had the whole thing coming out and and then that's just where's that now like 30 40 bucks now that's, that's oh no it. I'm, unfortunately it's about
2: 53 oh, $4. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah so that, that that hurt me but yeah so we all we all have those right <laughs> well i so i you, you bring
2: that up because there's another funny story um you mentioned the microcap club so i I was invited down to the microcap club i think i was the only canadian in in the the club at that point and they wanted to maybe they needed a token foreigner to come and and, and show up up at the the conference and um i remember they asked everybody to you know pick a stock and, and come up and sort of uh give your pitch and of course mine was Expel, and the stock was trading around 30 or 40 cents at the time and um I remember like a few, a few guys had gone up before me and they were literally talking about how bad Canadian companies were. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I literally went up next. And the first thing I I mentioned is I've got this Canadian company. You can almost hear this murmur of, you know, how, how quick can we get them booted out of this building? You know, let's, let's call the cops. Um, yeah, no, so I, I, I mentioned Expel and, um, yeah, it, it worked out okay.
1: That was an awesome pick, man. I just, you know, I just had a hard time understanding how big it could be. When I've, and it was, it was incredible to have this penny stock with recurring yeah. revenue, growing every quarter. And you know, you knew that was eventually going to pop. But the, the think, the dominance that they would, that they were able to um, attain in the industry that was created here from this thing was amazing. But, I, yeah.
2: but, but Maj, think of any, any successful, even a blue chip now or or a big cap. And I guarantee you, most of them start off as as micro caps. Yeah, and somebody somebody would say the same thing. How big could selling books online be? Come on, how big could right. be, right? right. <laughs> right. <laughs> how big could coffee, you know, putting together a coffee shop on the corner? How big could that be, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's one. That, yeah, it's 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 a lesson to learn. Once you start looking at companies, my problem was I was looking at companies for for many years. I mean, it was all fundamental based. Uh, I was using momentum, and I was pretty short-term, I, I just want to make a lot of money quick. And, you yep. you know, you have these, like you were saying, momentum can get you these 100% gains relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, doesn't sometimes keep you from looking, wow, but will put up a 10-bagger, a 20-bagger, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I'll say an advantage for smaller retail investors in these micro-caps is that literally what we prefer is we want to see companies that are, um, they're sort of, um, they're attacking a niche market they're, they're the leaders in a niche market, right? So they can maintain high margins because there's not a lot of competitive pressures. And what typically happens is that niche market grows into another niche or they get another layer. And, and XPEL is an example. Like originally they really just did this one version of paint protection film, right? And all of a sudden now it's another layer, it's another product, it's another thing that they sell into that community and it's geographically now it's China. It's not just the U S it's, you know, all over the place. So you, this niche just keeps getting bigger and bigger and then because they can dominate that niche, they go and pick a few others. And before you know it, you know, they're, they're doing, you
1: know, the kind of numbers are doing right now. It's huge. That was an incredible pick, man. So congratulations on that. <laughs>
2: oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. No, um, yeah. You know, clearly trying to find the next one right
1: now <laughs> i'm sure you will and that brings us to uh, let's 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 talk about some well you know what actually before we even get to, uh, you i would love you to give like a 90 second pitch on a stock if you, if you have time for that um uh, it, sure i always i always love to pitch a, <laughs> before that let's talk about one we i think we both i, I think you like it in touch yeah. uh inx i think you've interviewed cameron a few times uh um, yeah, yeah and i mean i love it but let's talk about yeah. why you maybe why you like it. and then we'll get into your pitch because I want you to, yeah. I want yeah. to feel good about owning a stock that you own in yeah. <laughs> Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So disclosure,
2: I don't own, I don't okay. own in touch, but it's one that I followed for a while. I actually used to own it in the past, but um, you know, last set of numbers came out were, were quite outstanding. Um, you know, they went through a bit of a reorg uh, a few years ago and try to sort of merge into a new sort of line of business. Um, but Fundamentally, we we love what they're doing in terms of their numbers, um, and we think that there's um, a significant amount of vested interest. I mean, they, they, they check off they check off a lot of our boxes, right? Um, the challenge with us is it probably doesn't fit in the top five, you know, top names in our list. So that's the only downside is we've got to be somewhat selective uh, with our capital, but. No, it's, it's constantly on our watch list. We interviewed him because we like the business. We like what he's done. Uh, we like the fundamentals. And um, yeah, I, I, I like the business.
1: I love Cameron. I, and for those listening it's, um, who don't know the company, it's customer experience management. Mm-hmm. And I guess they also um, help companies um, make sure their, um, their, their locations, different locations are following protocol. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, you know SOPs and these kind of things, yeah, regulatory stuff. So, and, and I think um, one of the things that uh, hurt them, well, at least when COVID came along, and mm-hmm. so half their customers are in the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they got crushed. But yeah, uh, they made their way back from, nicely from there. So it's a pretty interesting story. Yeah, so, um, I'm glad you're at least following it. You know, if you,
2: yeah, no, I, I mean it's, it's a it's a little bit more than following it. We, you know, last set of numbers were even though the revenues were down their, their margins were quite nice um, and uh, the beauty of these micro caps as long as they can keep the the doors open and um, you know are are lean enough to, to be able to survive any rough times you you, you can get an explosive move out of uh, out of sort of a, a weak period so yeah, we're watching it very closely yeah
1: excellent all right Paul that's awesome man you this has been awesome so let's let's do a 90 second pitch okay and- yeah, and then I want to get into your conference, which is coming up soon.
2: You bet, you bet. Um, okay, so the 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 one one of the ones we really like right now is a company called Medexis. Medexis is a specialty pharma company. Um, we've been very successful in that space. We've had two big wins in in sort of the last uh, several years, including a company called uh, Bioscient and one called uh, Cipher. Um, but uh, specialty pharma, what they typically do is they in license, um, drugs from other, uh, companies, uh, and typically in other jurisdictions. So a drug that's approved in Europe, um, they will help bring and get approval in North America, whether it's Canada, or U S and what they have is really a, a sales team that can go out and sell that drug better than the existing owner of the drug or, or pharmaceutical company, um, can. So they know how to go through the protocols of getting, um, a uh, drug approved, and they have the sales team to go out and sell it. So, why we like it is they've now got uh, a, well, I've lost count of how many drugs they've got under approval right now, but it's a rapidly growing company. Um, their traction right now, they're, I think, the last quarter is about 27 million in the quarter for revenue. Uh, they're cash flow positive um, and growing at about a 30 or 40% clip. So, it meets sort of our hurdle of that, that 25% plus. But probably the best thing, uh, as far as we're concerned, is that if you compare them to almost any other specialty pharma company, they're trading about a third the valuation. Um, so we like it because the, the the model works. They've got high growth. They've got a number of drugs that are still in, in what's called growth phase. And, um, yeah, the valuation in comparison to uh, so many other companies in the space is so cheap. It's Canadian listed. Um, what is likely going to unlock a lot of the value is they're looking at uh, getting uplisted to NASDAQ, which is obviously where a lot of uh, life science companies get get maximum value. So, we like it. It's cheap, growing, meets our criteria, and has that big catalyst of
1: uh, NASDAQ. How's the liquidity? You think they can? No problem. Growing organically is going to be an issue with them, or I mean, um, with what they have uh, on the balance sheet, or do they have to raise some money? You think?
2: Yeah, no, they're, they're well, their balance sheet. If anything, the weakness is they've got probably a little bit too much debt for a company its size, but they're growing into that very rapidly. Um, there's other opportunities that they can take advantage of, but they, they, they believe they don't have to go and raise money to do it. Um, if they didn't, the company's still going to grow organically very uh, high clip. If they were to go and do something new, that would be in addition to what they have. So there's no real need. To go out and uh you know buy or acquire any rights anything else um they've got a good pipeline right now but i wouldn't be surprised if they see another opportunistic uh
1: uh you know opportunity there and you all you own the stock right Obviously. i own the stock
2: yeah so clearly um disclose that i'm i'm a shareholder and uh more likely to continue to buy if it
1: stays on here yeah all right great good trevor you own it too
3: i don't actually own it no can't support it can't support all prospects you know that's why we work together right I, I've, got, I've got my lens and paul's got his lens but uh you know there's actually one other little note there on the Medexis i wanted to bring forward which is uh speaking to the undiscovered kind of potential of it and um you know this is one that's something you know this is a name that's kind of slipped through the cracks and generally a lot of the penny stock investors in canada are looking for stocks that are 10 cents 20 cents 50 cents uh, this is a five or six dollar stock so they're just generally not that interested in it. and then again the market cap on the company is somewhere around 100 million right now and so you you know it's not quite big enough for uh, a larger institution to really get involved, especially when you start looking at liquidity of the, of the actual shares that trade. So uh, this is definitely something that's kind of just falling off the uh, you know the screen for the retail investor and just not quite there for the institutional investor and I think that's starting to change a little bit.
1: And and Trevor, sorry, put you on put you on the spot like that, but Bobby's been text bombing me about disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. So
3: I do not own the stock. I'll <laughs> say it again, just to say it to Paul's face one more time. You know, yeah.
1: so. I don't own it, but I definitely want to look into that. This kind of like sounds like bioscent ish right? I mean, they're hey, taking they, oh. these guys. It's just. Three. It, it, yeah
2: it's the same model bioscience was a big win for us um we got in very early it was it was quite uh you know well discussed in the microcap club i think i think it still is it's actually a great business still and i think they've got some growth drivers now but uh, when you see that business and you see how um you know how lucrative it can be um it, it's phenomenal and bioscience if anything it's smaller it only operates in canada i mean they've got they've got a product that they sell internationally but um uh has a, a much bigger uh sort of geographic yeah. landscape
1: excellent man well thanks guys well, now let's get into your um let's let's get into business now you have a you have a conference coming up um it's, um, it's obviously a virtual conference and maybe yeah. talk about this conference how long has it been going on you used to do brick and mortar so we want to get in a little bit and, and talk about how it's going to work Sure.
2: Well, OK, so traditionally
1: we've had a, a sort of real world conference
2: uh, where people actually show up in person, uh, you know, <laughs> from, <laughs> imagine that, <laughs> imagine that. Eh? Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, you, we focus just on Canadian companies that sort of fit our criteria. Um, so we're not, you know, typically we don't get involved with too many startups or, um, you know, sort of companies that don't quite meet that sort of, you know, well, the, the, the call it the Canadian canceling type of ideal. Um, but this time uh, we, we teamed up with SNN and uh, the great team over there with the idea that let's let's put together a virtual that we can bring a whole bunch of great Canadian ideas to, you know, a sort of North American audience as opposed to just a small, you know, sort of Canadian uh, audience where, you know, traditionally we'd only have about 60 or 70 people show up to these virtual conferences. Um, but this time we wanted to take it a step further and, and, and do it in a bit bigger scale. So we're, we're taking the same concept. We, we've got some phenomenal companies that we've kind of handpicked and said these guys deserve to be seen by more, um, you know, more investors and, and more investors that, that may not really have an opportunity to see companies like this before. So we've got companies like Medexus and, and, uh, you know, a number of companies that we follow, but also a bunch of companies that are kind of on our watch list that we, we want to see ourselves and get to know a little bit better. Um, so yeah, it's you know you're you're going to find a lot of great companies that fit our kind of criteria, and um, that are traditionally not out there at these type of conferences because they you know, you know they're busy building their business and and sometimes they just don't have the 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 connections to even know how to be involved in one of these conferences. So we're we're looking forward to
1: you know talking about a lot of these. How many how many companies are going to Attend? do you have that list yet?
2: Uh, yeah, I think we're, we're well over 30 right now. I think we're probably going to come closer to about 50. Um, you know, there's only so many good companies in Canada, so we <laughs> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> can't get much more than that. But, um, no, it, it's it's going to be a great lineup. Um, and um, it, it's, you know, certainly there, there'll be a little bit different taste for everybody that's there and uh, um, enough to, to keep everybody busy.
1: So it's going to be a traditional virtual where you're going to have these, um, there's going to be a pitch time for these companies to talk about themselves, I guess, presentation, and as well as one-on-one breakouts, or how, how is this format?
2: Yeah, no, exactly. So um, all of the above uh, presentations, we find that always works well. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the chance for a little bit of Q&A, but more importantly, uh, one-on-one uh, breakouts for everybody that, uh, that, that sees fit. Um, re- remembering that some of these companies don't present anywhere else. Um, so, you know, you want to give them the best opportunity to get in front of as many people as possible and vice versa. You want, uh, investors to have that chance to, you know, kick the tires and really understand what these companies are all about.
1: Cool. And and then you have some, you know, keynote speakers coming into the thing. On, um, uh, and you've got areas? some
2: great keynote speakers, um, you know, unfortunately I'll be speaking, but apart from that, we've got, um, uh, we've got the, um uh gosh what's his name um pender funds um dave barr uh who's a really well-known canadian uh microcap uh fund manager uh ryan irvine who runs another newsletter up here in canada phenomenal track record um you know joe Mazunder um in the the mining and resource space um you know a good cross-section of guys um and you know uh you know just a a good cross-section guys that uh, know their space and um uh and know how to you know operate the microcap space. The, the others we we've got a handful of uh investors that you know quietly sort of operate uh behind the scenes that not too many people know about but that are kind of semi-legends in, in the microcap space Jason Hirschman, uh Meredith Brill, uh Matthew Martin, uh David McFadden, um th- these are all investors that, that do it day in, day out. Uh, Dean Trottier, um, you know a number of great investors that that all have uh, you know bring phenomenal skill set to the microcap space, and a lot of them without you know financial background. These are all people that are in the trenches, uh, just just you know making it work.
1: You actually got Meredith to come.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> the, you know, again, the legend, right? Oh no, shall I don't know she'll have a pick for you though? She doesn't want like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm amazed at how, you know, I don't want to say average person because none of these people are average, but th- these are not people with professional background in the space. Right. And if anything, if, if, if people that have, you know, normal day jobs can do what these people have done um, anybody can do it. Right. You, you just, you, you gotta have a process. You gotta put in the effort. And um, you know, I always say you just need one good micro cap to change your financial life. And, um, I've seen, I've seen people do it. I've seen them, you know, do it firsthand. So, um, it's encouraging for everybody else.
1: It's actually potentially even better. I mean, I, I think to some degree, not to have the background, um, you know, some of sometimes you, you know, you're, you're too smart. Yep. You just say no to everything and, and you just, and you don't bring that real life or personal life experience to it.
2: Absolutely. You know, what? I literally know analysts, you know, MBA analysts at at brokerage firms that don't do as well as some, you know, um, lay people. Right. Um, Right. So it's, you know, analysis paralysis. Right. You can spend way too much time uh, trying to find a reason not to invest and you're you're out of the game. Right. So it's it's good to have us normal people uh, have a winner every now and then.
1: You can sound smart or invest smart. You know, it's it's one of yep. those you know, look like yeah. Talk about. Um, will there be actually a pitch session going on in this thing, or is it? Um... uh you know what? I
2: don't recall. I don't believe there's going to be a pitch session, but um, I'll I'll talk to the powers that be, and uh, we we may just have to do something like that. Yeah, awesome. have have sort of a battle of uh, a
1: <laughs> battle of the microcap investors. Absolutely, yeah, that'd be pretty cool, man, for Canada. Yeah, have that. Awesome man, awesome. Um, well, if you do, I love the pitch one. So, well, you know what? We'll, we'll we'll make a space for you. Awesome, Paul. Well, this has been this has been fantastic. I'm glad we did this. It's you know really um, you know we've talked a few times you know at the club and different conferences, but it's been great to really uh you know get to know you and I'm really proud of what you've done for the space and what you've done. you know, Congratulations on you know being number one in the club. You really earned that. Even though you let me have the spot for like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Literally a minute.
0: <laughs> Did that happen? Did I like to do that? Oh, no, no. Never again. Never again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you you take it a huge lead. I don't know who if anyone will ever see it again in our lifetime. <laughs> but, but no, you Oh, it. somebody
2: will. So there's some young guy that'll beat the shit out of me soon.
1: Absolute, even though I expel even though I don't own it anymore. Um, no so i
2: i don't actually i had a little bit and literally sold it uh sold a little bit that i had a couple weeks ago so i'm i'm watching in the rearview mirror unfortunately and uh hoping that it goes 100 bucks so i can you know it can be another war story for me
1: yeah. a little badge of honor though hey yeah. trevor thank you so much man for being here too and i know um wish we'll have to have we'll have to talk to you a little bit more some another time in the podcast learn about your your journey uh, to, uh to- Absolutely.
3: Everybody. Thanks, Maj. Thanks. And, uh, happy holidays to everybody too and everybody tuning in there you and,
1: and listen, Maj, if
2: I can say, if, if anybody wants any more information uh, about the conference, um, then go to our website. It's Canada.SNN.network. Um, and yeah, definitely, if they've got any questions, uh, from there, they can ask me or, or Bobby. Um, but yeah, looking forward to having everybody, including yourself there, uh, to have a little bit of fun.
1: And I'll make sure you get the word out to our geo investing community. So hopefully we'll get them there and, uh, they can start getting exposed to this beautiful um, opportunity in Canada that uh-huh. it's gone beyond the baseball card situation that I was <laughs> <when I got laughs> exposed to it. Trading cards. Thankfully, uh, thankfully, yeah.
0: Very cool. All right, guys. Well, thank y'all for doing this today. We really appreciate it. It's a great show. I, I learned a lot. I learned something every time I talk to Paul and Trevor. So this was a lot of fun. Maj, you know, sometimes, but usually, you know, Paul and Trevor for sure. <laughs> but guys, thank thank you so much for doing this again. You can follow every episode of Avoiding the Crowd uh, on geoinvesting.com where it has its own stream now. So you can go and find it there on the website where you can get your seven day free trial to check out Maj's newsletter. By the way, Paul and Brett Paul and Brandon. Wow. Look at me guys. Hi, Paul and Trevor. You know, they kind of look alike too, you know, it's, it, 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 it it's, it's sometimes, but, uh, but, uh, you can, you can also find Paul and Trevor's uh, newsletter at smallcapdiscoveries.com where you can also subscribe to their newsletter, talking all things Canadian microcaps, non-resource Canadian microcaps, about as niche as it possibly gets, but Hey, that's where you can find opportunity. So, um, again, you can also find Avoiding the Crowd, the podcast on SNN's YouTube channel, youtube.com slash SNNWire, and avoidingthecrowd.podbean.com for the audio-only version. And that's all I got left to plug. So with that, happy holidays, as Trevor said. Happy holidays. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you at the uh, SNN Network Canada Virtual event. Sorry, Maj, I had to go one more plug. So that was it. Yeah, that was but, awesome. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. That was fun. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Modestway Don are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.